You're listening to Conservation Connection. Presented by Last Chance Endeavors. I'm Chance. I'm Sarah Catherine. We're a husband and wife team running a wildlife education nonprofit focused on connecting students to their environment. Each week, here on Conservation Connection, we do just that by introducing you to the groundbreaking science and conservation work that's happening every day across the globe. We talk to professionals working to protect our planet and ask them about their career, their current projects, their wild and crazy stories from the field, and everything in between. This episode is a collaboration with the Sun Valley Forum in Sun Valley, Idaho, and was made possible through a generous donation by the Nancy P. and Richard K. Robbins Family Foundation. The Sun Valley Forum is an intergenerational meeting of forward-thinking professionals that come from a diverse range of disciplines. These experts are on the cutting edge of what's happening in the fight for our future, and they've all come together at the Sun Valley Forum to share ideas and collaborate on solutions for a greener tomorrow. Let's get to the show. All righty, guys. Welcome to another episode of Conservation Connection. We are here in Sun Valley, Idaho for the Sun Valley Forum, and we are incredibly honored and excited to be sitting down with Carol King, who is a legend, singer-songwriter, activist, environmentalist, and has been for decades. And we're also sitting with Dr. Chad Hansen, who is an ecologist with the John Muir Project and has a book out. He's the author of a book called Smokescreen. And we're going to talk a little bit about this recent project that you guys have been running. Welcome to the show. Thank Thank you. you. Let's just crack it wide open. What is the topic that we're here to talk about in this episode today? Well, we have been focused on forests and how the U.S. Forest Service is not serving the forest. It's serving the timber industry, and it's actually facilitating commercial logging in our national forests, which has done harm to habitat, species, and as we now know, because when I first started in, you know, making things better for the forests, uh, we didn't know how bad climate change was going to be. And now, you know, generations, I'm, I'm 80. So, you know, it's like my grandchildren's generation and the generations that are coming are now so aware of climate. And then we also have been dealing with, uh, Chad, Dr. Hansen is a, uh, is an ecologist, and he's very knowledgeable about fire and how fe- people's fear of fire is being misused by communications from the Forest Service, from our government, from the timber industry, to scare people into thinking that, oh, we need to thin in the forest to to slow the fires down or remove the fuel so that, and Chad will talk about that. Um, and I just want to sort of say that what I want to try to do is tie the powerful youth climate movement to how bad logging is for climate change. And it's being done in our national forests at our taxpayer dollars expense. So there's there's two things I want to dive into with that. So first off, you mentioned that our U.S. National Forest Service is engaged in commercial logging. So Correct. So tell me how commercial logging operations interface with the U.S. National Forestry Service. Well, the way this works, and this, this goes back uh, decades uh, to laws passed by Congress that allow this, 
things that made sense maybe to Congress or to the public you know, 100 years ago, uh, but don't make so much sense in the 21st century world when we're worried about the extinction crisis and the climate crisis. The, the number one land management activity that the U.S. Forest Service engages in on our national forests is selling public trees to private logging companies and keeping the revenue for its budget. So the U.S. Forest Service is literally in the commercial logging business like a giant logging corporation, except they're subsidized by taxpayers to the tune of billions and billions of dollars. And to make it worse, the Forest Service knows that this is bad from a climate change perspective, because when you remove trees from forests, most of the carbon in those trees goes into the atmosphere almost immediately. Very little ends up in a two by four in a house somewhere. So it's making climate change worse. It's harming wildlife species. And it's costing taxpayers a lot of money. So they have to develop a narrative that makes it sound not benign or benevolent. They call it fuel reduction or forest health or restoration or thinning, things that sound good to the public and they don't realize what they're really getting. It sounds a little bit like they're creating a problem and selling the solution, right? Because forests have existed with fire for hundreds of thousands of years. I mean, they they evolved with this pressure in mind. And in fact, that there's lots of species that require fire, lots of species of trees that require fire in order to reproduce. And so this these artificial human-made solutions of thinning or forest management is really not what the forest needs in order to be healthy and to regenerate after these fires, right? Yeah, I, I want to jump in on that one because one of the things, you know, when you meet with members of Congress who are being informed by people who are pro-logging, basically, and they'll say, oh, isn't this great? We're allocating all this money for restoration. Well, first of all, my question is, why would the forest need to be restored in the first place, except that you allowed it to be destroyed. It was doing fine. And wilderness, wilderness is what I actually have been working on. And wilderness is the best solution to the climate issue, to the forest issue, to the species issues. There are, there are fewer and fewer areas that we can protect because to qualify for wilderness, uh, it has to be a roadless area, and the Forest Service and the timber industry are going in and putting roads in areas which not only, you know, takes out all the trees, but makes them ineligible for any protection where they might be adjacent to those areas. Um, I'm really going far afield, but just to say that restoration, when you see that Oh, the Forest Service is doing restoration, and isn't it wonderful? No, it's not. And it actually boils down to that money goes in to them going in and doing whatever logging they can. That is their primary interest, commercial logging. And, you know, we can't stop it on private land, but it's our national forests. They were set aside you know, initially to protect them, and then it became a commercial thing. Oh, we can log this. We, can we have revenue. To, we have to stop this in our national forests. And one way that we can do that is the president can do that on a temporary basis. But wilderness, we need to protect as much wilderness as we can in our national forests, and that will address so many problems, and certainly notably the climate crisis. Yeah, absolutely. And before we get too much deeper into this, I want to ask Carol, 
did you have like an epiphany moment that made you care about this issue? Because obviously as a singer songwriter, like I'm sure you could happily live your life caring about any number of issues or not caring about any issues as many people do. So what made this the issue that you want to tackle? Well, um, I live in Idaho. I moved to Idaho in the seventies <laughs> and I love, you know, I fell in love with these forests. They were like nothing I'd seen back east, although I loved the forest back east. What got me involved actually was my fame because people who were working in the grassroots level on wilderness protection came to me and said, you know, we have this bill, this Northern Rockies Ecosystem Protection Act. It was based on science. It was based on the range of the grizzly bear. They were doing statewide bills, you know, but they weren't statewide. They'd find a sliver of wilderness that they could get by with politically, and they'd negotiate down from that, and they'd protect some wilderness. I appreciate that they protected some. This was massive and based on science, and everyone said it was so big, and I was like, that's the one. I said, that's the one. And so I went to Congress with these people who had gone, I had no idea what to do. I just came, got the door open and let them <laughs> do the talking. But I really became interested in how it all worked. And that's what got me into it was the fact that I was approached by these grassroots people who were, who don't have big budgets. It's not the big organizations, you know, they're a different thing. It's organizations like Alliance for the Wild Rockies, Friends of the Clearwater, John Muir Project, which is newer than, you know, than these organizations. And that's what got me into it. Speaking of the John Muir Project, <laughs> Chad, can you tell me a little bit about what that project is and what your involvement with it is? Sure. Well, I'm the uh, co-founder and director and uh, principal scientist of the John Muir Project. So you are the John Muir Project. It's basically <laughs> what I just heard. <laughs> no, uh, I'm, I'm certainly, uh, I certainly started it off um, and, and I am the director, but uh, the John Muir Project is a team. Um, we have staff in Washington, D.C. and in Pennsylvania and in Southern California and Oregon. And we work with partner organizations all across the country, like Friends of the Clearwater and Alliance for the Wild Rockies and Wild Earth Guardians and Center for Biological Diversity and many, many others. And so it really is a coalition, Enforced Carbon Coalition. It really is a coalition effort. And, um, and what we're really working for is to increase the protection of our forests so they can absorb a lot more of that excess CO2 that we have in our atmosphere so that we can mitigate the climate crisis and uh, for the benefit of everybody. And that's really a key thing that we uh, have to focus on now. I mean, people know that we have to get away from fossil fuels as quickly as possible, and that's absolutely true. It's just that that's not nearly enough. We have to also protect a lot more forest if we're going to overcome the climate crisis. Absolutely. And so ecology is one of my favorite fields. It's If I were a researcher, I would be an ecologist. I, I did herpetology in my undergraduate, and that lends itself very well to looking at both the organism and its environment, uh, especially with cold-blooded organisms, right? So what was your pathway into science and into being an ecologist and then specifically getting into forests and their role in the climate issue? Well, my, my older brother and I um, hiked the Pacific Crest Trail from oh. Mexico to Canada in, in 1989. And I talk about this in my book, Smokescreen, uh, and how I got involved in this work. Um, I took a year off college. Uh, I, I knew nothing about the difference between national forests, which are not protected, and national parks, which are. 
um, or supposed to be protected. And I was not politically active. I, I knew I was very naive. Um, but as we started hiking further north on the Pacific Crest Trail, we started seeing these giant clear cuts, the devastation from logging on national forests in the northern Sierra Nevada, then in the national forests of Oregon and Washington, all the way up to Canada. And it made a profound impression on me. And I remember sitting on a, a six-foot diameter stump from an ancient tree that had been cut down in uh, the Willamette National Forest in Oregon as we were making our way north. And um, I could see nothing but stumps all the way up to the ridgeline 360 degrees around me. And I thought, this, this has to stop. And I, and I knew at that point that I would basically devote my life to protecting forests. Wow. What a story. So what does the future of this work and this partnership look like over the next five, 10, however many years? I will say it looks like you. It looks <laughs> like young people is what it looks like. And the urgency of the climate movement, you know, you can, you can just feel it in young people. And that's, that is the future. And that's one of the things that I want to do is just try to reach out across the generations and say, first of all, how much I appreciate y'all, you know, that you're going for it. And, you know, sometimes I lose hope. I, I mean, I've been working on the NARIPA, we call it the Northern Rockies Ecosystem Protection Act for 32 years, and it hasn't gotten passed yet. And I know initially people said, whoa, what are you doing? It's so big. It's too big. Big was the point, And now more than ever, big is the point. We have to protect a lot of wilderness. And we have to keep this climate movement going with the awareness that it's not just fossil fuels that we need to stop. We need to stop logging where we can, and that is in our national forests. So what you need to do is continue to march, continue to advocate, continue to vote no matter what obstacles they throw in front of you, and don't give up because I do believe in you. I may not be here to see it happen, but you will, and I am so grateful to all of you. That was inspiring. Like I'm, I'm feeling that was wonderful. That was thank you for that because I was, <laughs> I'm feeling very good right now. Um, if people wanted to learn more about your work, how they could be involved with the work being done, where could they go to find that? Well, for the John Muir Project, you can go to our website. It's www.johnmuirproject.org, and uh, we have lots of information on there about. Uh, wildland fires and uh, and the myths and misinformation that are being used by the logging industry and the Forest Service to demonize wildfires as a way to scare people and promote logging, which is really the real destruction. The fires are actually creating great habitat in our forests. Main thing we need to do is protect our forests from logging and focus our resources on keeping communities safe by helping homeowners make their homes fire safe and you know, creating evacuation plans and evacuation assistance. That's critical, but that's where the resources aren't going right now because the subsidies are all going to backcountry logging projects. And we want to flip that. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to jump in and spell John Muir for people who may not know, J-O-H-N-M-U-I-R project.org. And Alliance for the Wild Rockies.org has the maps of Naripa and the information about the bill. And there's so many other groups. You mentioned a few Wilderness Watch is another organization. 
Um, there's so many more friends of the clear water we, we mentioned. Um, so many, but like, just look for these smaller groups, these grassroots groups, because the ones whose names you know, I think are part of the problem now. They're, they may be protecting some, some of it, but the advocacy, I believe, has been tempered over the years by, I don't know, keeping the organization going. Yeah. And these organizations are like small, on the ground, dedicated to the cause. Yeah, I, I love it. So if you guys are listening, uh, of course you're listening. It's a podcast. Scroll on down to the show notes. I'm going to put those links right there so you can go straight from this episode to learning more about these awesome projects. I don't want to end this episode without getting a little snippet about Smokescreen. So can you tell me what is the book? Where can we find it? What was the point behind it? Sure. Yeah. So the book is entitled Smokescreen, Debunking Wildfire Myths to Save Our Forests and Our Climate. It was published last year. Uh, I, I wrote it for a general public audience. So it's written in more of a narrative format. But I am an ecologist and I've published a lot of studies on these issues and, and I'm a field ecologist. So I'm a boots on the ground guy. Um, and I have hundreds of scientific studies cited in the end notes for all those who want to do that deep dive. But people can get it on, um, on Amazon. They can get it on bookshop.com. They can get it from the publisher, which is University Press Kentucky. And, um, and again, it's smokescreen debunking wildfire myths to save our forests and our climate. And, uh, People really want more information about how they're being misled by the logging industry, including the U.S. Forest Service, and what they can do to make things better. You'll find a lot of that in the book. Awesome. So again, I'm going to put that right next to those other links. If you guys want to go purchase that book, I'm going to put a link to that right there in those show notes. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank and thank you for joining us today. I know we were a little pressed for time. So hopefully y'all will be able to join us on another future episode of the podcast. We'd love to have you back on. Thank you for joining us today. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conservation Connection. If you enjoyed our podcast, go ahead and subscribe to make sure you catch every episode that we post. We'd love to hear from you. So if you want to reach out, go to our website, lastchanceendeavors.com backslash contact and shoot us an email. We love questions from our listeners. So if you heard something that you want to know more about, be sure to let us know. If you've got a minute to spare, leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts will help other conservation-minded people find the show. We'd really appreciate it. A big thanks to the people working to protect our planet, and a big thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to tune in next week.